Acts chapter 27, we want to go back to verses 12 and 13, get some additional information from there. I kidded last week that we have here something that is somewhat similar to Gilligan's Island. But as you look through it, it really is like that particular TV show. I think I'll go home and check out Google and see whether or not Gilligan's Island was based on Acts chapter 27 because I can see that somebody might have read through that and at some point become a TV producer and thought, let's kind of take that idea and turn it into a TV show. It really does fit very, very well. Looking at verses 12 and 13, again, Acts chapter 27, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in. Remember, they're uh, headed to Rome and they have some issues, so they find a place to stop and it's not the best. By the time they get there, they've had, they've had some issues on that grain ship. The more part advised to put to sea from thence, if by any means they could reach Phoenix and winter there. Hopefully you have your map and you can remember that we looked at the various stops last week, which is a haven or a port of Crete, looking northeast and southeast. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they thought it was going to work out, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close inshore. But after no long time there, beat down a tempestuous wind, which is called uh, Uraquilo. Uh, that's a hard word to pronounce, but it's got about five syllables in it. Uh, so anyway, they are on this green ship. They're thinking, okay, uh, we're in a place where we don't want to harbor for the winter. And just about 40 miles away, there's another spot, which is going to be a much better port. Let's see if we can make it. And you may remember from last week's class, they're kind of looking at things. The weather does give them a little bit of a break. And they decide that they're going to, if you will, make a run for it. So they weigh anchor. And you can understand, I think, the thinking. If you're looking at the map, you can see that they're sailing along Crete. Let's stay along the shoreline. Let's try to be, you know, in an area where it's as safe as possible to make the trip. But it's like anything else. You start out, everything seems to be good, everything seems to be positive, and then there's a turn in the weather, and it is not for the better. Oftentimes, if we're in bad weather, we hope that we're going to get a break. If you're driving in heavy rain, you hope that that's going to ease up. If you are in an environment where there's a lot of snow, you hope that you're going to get a break. But uh, sometimes you go from the other. You go from great weather to you go to downpours and rain. And maybe you've had that experience. You're driving out in the interstate and things seem to be going along pretty well, but you're warned by the radio or you can see traffic slowing down up ahead and you get to a point where things are not good. And that's what happens here. Luke says that there's not just a wind. There is a tempestuous wind. Uh, we've got Uacarillo. Uh, and he says it begins to beat down on the ship. You may have heard some people talk about or a nor'easter. As I mentioned to you in a previous class, there were different words for wind, especially if you were a sailor, you were familiar with different types of storms, and this one was really, really bad. If you're out there, it's kind of like the cork in the ocean. You're going to be tossed around, tossed about, and you're not going to have any control of your direction, no control over the speed. So it's pretty much just hold on and start praying because there's not really anything that you can do at this point. And as you look at what Luke is describing, here you are, you're trying to kind of stay close to the island, you know, use that as far as a windbreak, but now they're being driven out into the open sea. Be bad enough if you're on something like a, a modern vessel, a cruise ship, but when you're on something like they had in this day and time, I mean, it is dangerous, and you think that the vessel's probably going to do better to pieces. Anything you want to add or ask quickly before we say a few more things? Betty? Yes. And it says it's a southeast wind that stirs up broad waves. Yes. And the Iroquois 
Yes. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. Didn't get quite uh, to that, but there is a manuscript difference. So here is one of the cases where if you're looking at two different translations, this one would say this, and you're going to have another variation here. Um, the best manuscript seems to follow the ASV rendering that I gave, but there are some manuscripts which do, uh, King James followed a different set of manuscripts, so you do have that um, variation. So whichever way you go, a bad storm, but like I say, there is that distinction, so good catch. Anybody else? Okay, let's see what else we've got here. Well, they're on board, and they're experiencing one of the worst possible storms. As you look down, let's get some of the other details here. This will skip ahead a little bit, but 20A, the first part of verse 20. What do you see there as far as some details about this this particular trip? All right, what have we said about navigation? In today's world, we've got GPS, we've got satellites, we've got radios, all kinds of good things, but in this day and time, how did you navigate? You use, you know, what you can do in the daytime. Obviously, you've got the sun, and during the nighttime, you've got the stars. And how long was that, that they didn't have any tools to navigate by? All right, so it's quite a while. We're going to be dealing with a period of about 14 days. Then let's down, look down to verse 33 and see what else we have as far as the consequence. Uh huh. All right. Uh, we're going to see whether or not they actually had food on board a little bit later, but at least at this point they're not eating. So you're in the dark. You're on the storm top ship. You're not getting uh, hardly any nourishment. What else do we have? Verse sixteen. No shelter. Well, there's that. Anything else? All right, so we've got a skiff, we've got a smaller boat. That needs to be drug on board. Uh, that would have also been difficult as far as this. Uh, verse 17, what do we find there as far as a little detail? Eight. What's that? Eight. Well, there is that. In 17, we've got something else. All right, you know, if you're out on a boat, the last thing that you want to have happen uh, especially if you're close or you're concerned that you're going to be close to the shore. Uh, anybody ever go out and fish? You walk around a lake? You look down just across the edge, and what often do you see? Well, there may be that, but what else? Well, there's that too. What about rocks? I mean, you can see the rocks down there. You get a ship, and you get it close enough to shore, you're probably going to either hit sand or you're going to hit some rocks. And if you do that, you're going to have a tugboat that's going to be able to come along and pull you out. No, you're stuck, and chances are, if it's a storm, you're going to be battered, and the ship is going to be completely lost. Okay, uh, let's see what we've got in verse 18. Okay, so now you're taking precious stuff. There would be times in life where people would say, we've got gold, or we've got silver, or we've got, in this case, grain, some other things that are very, very valuable, but when it comes to either losing the cargo or losing the life, it's, okay, we'll dump the stuff, even though we would normally not do that. Then as we look at verse 20, the end of the verse, what do we find there? All right, hope is disappearing, and it at one point looks like it is completely gone. So even when, as you get down to verses 27 through 29, when it looks like there's finally uh, some hope of getting near land, there's fear of the rocks, and the people are thinking that this is really, really bad news. Uh, so as I say, if you've ever watched Gilligan's Island, as far as how that begins, you see the ship out there in the uh, sea, it's, it's storm-tossed and things are really looking rough. 
that will give you not a great visual, but that will give you an approximate visual of what's going on. And that's not just some three-hour tour. Uh, this is over an extended period of time, two weeks. This is really, really bad. Uh, so when you think about the shipwrecks that Paul has faced, this may not have been the worst one, but certainly this would have been uh, one that you, you would not forget anytime soon. Anything you want to add or ask before we look at some practical lessons? Okay, here's some things I think that we can draw from the account before we get down a little further. We find that Paul did some things, at least five things, that would be valuable to us. Number one, as we look through the account, we're going to see in verses 23 through 24 that he listens to God. As you're in this crisis, all the things that we have just talked about are going on. Two weeks in the darkness, two weeks of not eating, you're throwing cargo overboard. Uh, you would be thinking, what can I do? What can we do? How are we going to get out of the situation? How are we going to survive? One of the things I think that some people would not be inclined to do would be listen to God. But Paul gets a message from God, he listens to God, and he has faith in that message. That is a great example for us as we go through the chaos, the troubles of this life. If you follow God's way, you will never head down the wrong road. Well, if God does have a solution, what do we need to do with that? Listen to it. All right, we need to listen to it. We need to believe it. We need to apply it. And that's what we see Paul doing in this particular instance. You can see that coming out fairly clearly from verse 25. It's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to hear and understand it. But it's a completely different matter to have faith in it and actually do that. So what Paul proposes may not have seemed like the best course of action, but that was the only way to be saved from the storm. So he commits himself to that course of action, and that needs to be done for us as well. The situation, as we pointed out from verse 20, it does look absolutely hopeless. But Paul, as you go down a little further, verses 21 through 26, he encourages people to have hope. He says, you need to have courage. God will offer us a way of escape. And that needs to be the kind of faith that we have. Remember Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, the Bible says, hope is an anchor of the soul. And that's what we have as we go through life. The various difficulties that we face, we have that hope, we have that ability to communicate with God, and we need to be willing to do that. You'll find as you get down a little further in the chapter, verses 30 through 32, where there's some people on board the ship who thought that they needed to get off the ship. Yes, there were some people who thought if we stay in the ship, we are going to die. Well, what would you say those people were trying to do? Just like folks today, sometimes Christians. Here's a problem. So rather than trust God, we're going to take things into our own hands. Would you say that's a problem for people? It is. God says, look, it doesn't look like I've got this under control. It looks like everything is really bad and you're going to die. But I have a plan. But there are these fellows, they think, we've got to get off the ship. You know, we've got a plan. Well, Paul tells them what? If you want to survive, we all have to stay on board the ship. And if we don't do that, things are not going to go well. It's very, very difficult sometimes for us to not be like the fellows who wanted to jump ship. Rebellion is never the right way, and that can lead to disastrous consequences in life and certainly in eternity. Finally, as you look at verse 35, you're going to see that during this crisis, Paul prayed. Now, you would hope that that would be the reaction that all of God's people pursue during those times, but um, that's sometimes not what people do, or it's not the first reaction. We're going to see something else, I think, that's kind of interesting. When Paul prays, he's willing to pray in public. Um, I don't know about you, but there are some people who sometimes get a little queasy about praying in public. 
Some perhaps maybe will say, we don't want to do that because it's, it's going to be showy, and we can understand that. But there are some other people who simply say or think, we don't want to pray in public. We don't want others to see us. We're going to, you know, I don't know, feel funny about that, or people are going to feel weird about us. Uh, Paul was not ashamed to do that. We've got close to 300 people on board this ship, and there is a time where he prays publicly, and he is not ashamed of it. All right, uh, one other quick point before we look at verses 15 through 16. Anything that you want to add or ask? Mom? Well, if there's almost 300 people on there, and they hadn't eaten for 14 days, you think some of them, and there were prisoners, you'd think that some of them would have been kind of unruly. Yeah, I imagine there was some grouchiness. I would, you would think the tempers would flare and it was not the best kind of environment. But yes, I think that unfed prisoners, uh, and I think what you're going to see is some translations will actually use the word abstinence, that food was available, but you've got a ship that's rolling, tossing out there in the storm, um, you know, trying to fix any kind of food, let alone, you know, um, eat it was just not the kind of environment that would have been conducive for that. Betty? Well, and that is that is true, too. I mean, you can be, when you think about people who have an illness, you know, look, we haven't been sleeping, we haven't been eating, we haven't eaten in a week. Um, so there are, yeah, so there are circumstances. For most of us, we've had that health experience where we just didn't feel like, I mean, soup and crackers was too much sometimes. So if you're out there and this experience is chaotic, you're trying to save your life, uh, you need food, but it's sometimes just not, foremost on the mind. So that's why I tried to kind of paint that picture, that this, this was really, really bad. Anybody else? All right, let's talk about faith for just a second. Oh, Ray? Up off the coast of uh, Washington, the state of Washington, that's real bad territory up there where a lot of uh, sailors really get sick up in that area. Uh, storms are bad. Uh, Doug and some other people was up there, and they almost went down in a boat. They lost the boat, but they called the uh, children. Pardon? I don't remember the details. Anyhow, they called for help, and but they were in the water when the help showed up. The coast guard. But yeah. up the coast of Washington was a real bad place. Yeah, there are some places, even the Great Lakes. I mean, you think about the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, all the shipwrecks in the Great Lakes, there are bodies of water which are treacherous when storms blow in. And not every storm is the same, but some of them. Um, didn't your translation, Betty, that you read or note talk about a rogue wave? A rogue wave? The Devil's Triangle had always puzzled me, but one day I came across some information that they finally figured out, they think, what happens down there, that there are some rogue waves. Um, that, I mean, these things, I'm not going to say they're as tall as a skyscraper, you'd have to actually Google how high they are, but I'm going to say maybe 50, 70 feet. And you're out there in the ship, and I mean, it's just like a sheet of water rises. And, you know, how's the ship going to be able to survive that? I mean, you're just hit with a wall of water. Well, depending on where the ship is, how big it is, you know, maybe how fast it's going, all those things, I mean, it just blows you over. There's just, and you just, once you're knocked over, there's really not much you can do. So uh, there are some things like that where uh, you're just at the mercy of Mother Nature, so to speak. 
And um, if you're not depending on God or God's not helping you out, it's 50-50 at best and probably not that in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah, we've actually seen, I think, in the last 10 years, I'm recalling, uh, not the names, but I'm thinking that there were at least two passenger ships which were cruise ships, and they were slammed by real waves. I don't know that they destroyed the ship, but the people who were on board said it was just an experience that you don't forget. So even with the modern shipping uh, vessels that we have and passenger vessels, you're still not completely safe. Okay, uh, some things about faith. I want to talk to you about faith from three different perspectives. Uh, someone has talked about a, a faith which is based on favorable emotions. That is, you're, you're feeling good about something, and uh, that's kind of an introductory level of faith. The second level of faith would be a faith or type of trust where you don't have to have that good feeling. In other words, um, I don't know if it's going to go this way or doesn't know, don't know if it's going to go this way, but that is okay. Uh, what would then be the third type of faith you would have? First type of faith, favor. I feel good about this. I think that God's going to allow this or permit this. Second type is, you know, I really don't have good feelings or bad feelings. Uh, I really don't have any feelings about this. I just have faith. What would the third type of faith be? No doubt. No. The type of faith in Acts chapter 27. What kind of faith does Paul have? He says, hey, we're going to get through this. What, the, the yes? Can we add anything to it, though? Yes? Courageous? Yes? But still no. He says, we're going to, if you're one of the sailors and you're hearing this, we're going to get through this, guys. What are you thinking? Yeah. Why? Because everything I can see says what? We're going to die. We've not been eating, and we don't have any navigation, and the storm's been battering the boat. So level one, as far as faith, I feel good. Level two, I don't feel good or bad. Level three is everything looks like it's not going to work. Faith looks like the worst choice. Now, in your Christian life, you may be at level number one, where you want positive feelings. And that's not a bad level. That's an introductory level. Maybe you're at level two. And level two says, you know, I, I really don't have to have positive feelings. And I'm still good. But strive for level three. And level three is when everything looks like it is falling apart, when it looks like life is a complete disaster, I still have faith in God. And if you can strive for that level or reach that level and stay at that level, that will serve you well. Okay. Verses 15 to 16. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven. And running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we were able with difficulty to secure the boat. The wind was very bad. We've seen that from multiple angles. And now the ship was caught. What do you think caught signifies there? That's the word that most translations use. Well, okay. Anything else? Um you're headed in the right direction, but I would express it slightly differently. The, the point is actually to seize and carry away. So you're right in the sense of this is really, really bad, but it would be like they're just tossed about. One source said as far as um, the word face, 
It could not face the wind. It meant to look in the face, to look directly in the face. So it is at this point that the ship, it's like it's been just taken over by the storm. There is no way to guide it. There is no way to control it. Uh, you just have to sort of, you know, throw up your hands and say, okay. Uh, do you remember back in the book of Jonah, we have some interesting similarities between Jonah 1 and what we have here. Uh, what did the fellows do in Jonah 1? Anybody remember? It's pretty much every man cried out to the God that they believed in because there was no hope. Jonah finally gets thrown overboard. Other things were tossed overboard as well. So as you look at verse 15, you have a picture of the men trying to no longer guide the vessel. It's just we're going to let the wind carry us to where we go. Verse 16, if you're looking at the map or if you have a map, you're going to see that the storm blows them about 23 miles off course. Now that is a long ways if you are on a storm-tossed ship. That will give you some idea of just how bad this is. You're being you know, driven for more than 20 miles. And they do get to the sheltered side of a small island, and that little break uh, was reached how? It says in, in verse 16 towards the end of the verse. They reached that area how? All right, there was difficulty uh, as far as what's being described. And you can imagine with difficulty, uh, it's just like somebody says, okay, we were out, we were taking out this tree or we were doing this project around the house, and how do we feel now? We got it done, but what? Exhaustion. Well, there's exhaustion. Anything else? Relief. Well, there's that too. Physically, how's the body feel? We got it done, but how? Oh, man. My back aches. And my arms ache. I'm sore head to toe. Anybody ever have that experience? We got it done, but it was done with difficulty. And that's the picture that we want to have here as far as working on the deck. Then let's also look at this little detail. Uh, who's being described, verse 16? And running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we, we were able with difficulty to secure the boat. Who do you think is being talked about? Well, yes, we. We who? We in the book of Acts includes Luke. So what's Luke saying? Did he help? Yeah. So here you got the doctor out there. And he's having, I mean, it's all hands on deck. You can't have somebody off napping or doing something else when you got this storm going on. So Luke says, we were out there working. But he says, we're not only out there working, we were working how? We were securing skiff. the skiff or securing the boat. On a modern ship, where do you keep the lifeboat? Side, right? yeah, 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 you've got it on the boat. It's attached. It might be hanging over with, with some kind of uh, mechanism, but you, you have it on the boat. You just don't see the skiff being towed behind the boat. But that's what they did in this day and time. And they could have done that for a lot of reasons. If it's a grain ship, obviously you bring another boat on board, you're taking up valuable space, but you're towing the boat. But if it's in a storm, why don't you want to be towing the boat? You lose it. Well, that's true. I mean, it's it's certainly something that you want to hold on to if you can. And with a storm, very easy to break the rope or chain. Any other concern there? Well, it could do that. Yeah, I'm thinking if you're already being battered by the waves and you got maybe some kind of debris out there, that could be smacking you too. What happens if the boat starts coming up and just ramming you? Bang, bang, bang. Well, that's not going to be very good. So chances are to eliminate that, even if you cut it loose, you could still have that at some point coming back and uh, whacking the ship. So 
uh, it's important for him to do that. Uh, did you have some laborers possibly on the ship that could have been charged with, with uh, bringing the skiff on board? Who's being transported? Prisoners. Yeah, we've got some prisoners. So sometimes you see them out there picking up trash or doing some other things. Maybe there's a disaster and prisoners are charged with going out and, and helping you know, pick up debris, those kinds of things. So there were some people um, looking. We don't know how big the skiff was. But if you're in this storm and you got the skiff behind the boat, chances are, is it full of water? Or you think it's just empty and completely dry? I would imagine it's probably pretty full at that point. So you, you have a skiff that you're trying to drag on board, perhaps it's full of water, and you can imagine with difficulty, oh, oh, and maybe Luke is looking at the blisters on his hands. So this was no easy task. It was really, really bad. Um, let's see what else I want to give to you as far as here. Anything else? That was it as far as my comments on 15 and 16. Anything that you want to... Contribute before we go down to 17 through 19. Okay. And he says, when they had hoisted it up, that takes us back to the lifeboat of the skiff, they used helps undergirding the ship. And fearing lest they should be cast upon the uh, stritus, they lowered the gear and so were driven. And as we labored exceedingly with the storm, the next day they began to throw the freight overboard. And the third day they cast out with their own hands the tackling of the ship. All right, so we finally got the skiff on board. That would have, among other things, helped prevent damaging the grain ship. And now we've got some other precautions being taken. So these are really safety measures that we're reading about here. What's being described when it says they got it hoisted on board? Then they uh, turned to undergirding the ship. What's being described there? They undergirded the ship. Okay, that may be helpful to describe it. What image does that bring to mind? They're wrapping it? Yeah, basically wrapping it. Uh, a long time ago, I'll give you a little tip here. Somebody sent me a book, and I had always tried to find a box for books and other things. But somebody sent me a book. They just took a plain manila envelope and put the book inside. They folded that around it, and uh, then they, they taped it well, used some of the packaging tape, some of the clear packaging tape. And the book arrived just fine, and I thought, wow, I have learned something with that book purchase. I have sent out a lot of books since then, and I don't know, I've probably sent out maybe a couple hundred books since I ordered that one book, and I have never had a problem. Books have always arrived just fine. Now, if I were to just put it in a manila envelope and send it out, I think there'd probably be some issues. But if I you know, put it in there, and then I wrap some tape around it, what does that do to the packaging? All right, it strengthens it, it reinforces it. If you were out there in the boat and it's being battered, you know, made of wood, it wouldn't have the nice steel holes like we have today. You're thinking these timbers are going to start popping off because of um, all the stress that things are under. So what do you do? You, you basically, you start bandaging the boat. You start wrapping cables. You may have rope. You may have uh, some kind of metal chain. And you start banding that around the boat to keep it together. Uh, now, that's probably not going to be the easiest thing to do, even if you are in dock. But if you're out there in the water and the uh, sea is a little less than calm, it's going to definitely be um, a difficulty. So if you like marginal notes, you might say that they bandaged the boat. And the next time you come to this, you'll say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They bandaged the boat. And we can have um, kind of a, a quick explanation for that. All right. So we've got some other things that are also taking place here. But exactly what took place is a little uncertain. 
the Greek text is not real clear. Some translations, you might have a, a reference to a sea anchor, and I'm not quite sure what's being described. Nobody quite knows. Uh, some people think that they took down the mast and maybe even uh, threw that overboard. Some other people think that they started to drop some kind of anchor to uh, have drag on the ship, and that would have slowed the ship's movements a little bit. Um, so I, I don't know exactly how to explain it because we don't know exactly what Luke was describing, but they do take some additional steps as far as this lowering the gear, whatever that was, because the ship was still being driven. They want to uh, do everything that they possibly can, and they are pulling out all the stops. There's a reason for that. Uh, that strange word, Sirtis, anybody have an idea what that is or where that is? Well, those um, would have been African quicksands. They were large beds of sands. Interestingly, they were about 400 miles away from where the ship was. Now, to me, that almost seems to be a great overreaction. You would think that you're, you're, you're probably not going to be driven that far. But if you've not eaten for a couple weeks and you're exhausted and, I mean, everything is going wrong, chances are, in your mind, what kind of scenarios are you running through? Yeah, you're thinking, <laughs> what else can go wrong? So this was one. I mean, this this was an area which really freaked out sailors on the Mediterranean. There were stories about them. You may recall from some of your uh, you know, schoolwork that uh, you know the sirens, uh, you know the you know the women and the snakes and and all that stuff. As far as Greek mythology, and you get to a certain area and you're going to be seduced and your ship is going to be. Uh, run aground and you're going to be taken over by, you know, pilots or some crazy people. Uh, so there, there were a lot of legends as far as sailors and so forth. And, uh, these, um, African quicksands, they were, they were actually real. There were large beds of sand, as I said, about 400 miles away from where this was. And one of the problems, if you ever have spent any time on the river, uh, what's true about sandbars? Yeah. So you might say, oh yeah, I was there last month. Watch the sandbar that's over here. But you're heading there a month later and you want to keep that in mind, but you want to put all your eggs in that basket. No, because what was here may have disappeared. It may be bigger. It may be a little smaller. Uh, so you can take that information and be mindful of it. But this is an area where you know if you're, you're going there, there have been a lot of problems. There have been a lot of ships. And it can be um, a great, great problem. So North Africa had two of these. There was a greater one, there was a lesser one, and a lot of people think that Luke described the greater one because the original text is, is singular. So this is one more concern that they have. Uh, there is one other little thing here that is, I guess, worth, worth mentioning. Teresa and I were um, down in the Outer Banks a couple years ago, and one of the things I learned from that trip was down there in the area of Kitty Hawk, uh, there were some problems as far as you know ships getting too close to the shore and then they would end up beached or they would hit the rocks. So there were some people, let's just call them pirates. There were some people who would build fires at night. And those fires were intended to lure ships in. If you're on the ship and you needed supplies, you see the fire. Oh, hey, not very far off. That must be a town. That must be a place where people are. Let's just pull in and let's, let's get resupplied. So the ships start coming in and they get fairly close to shore. They hit the rocks and guess what? Well... The pirates know you're coming. They're just waiting for you. And that's how people actually made their living for a period of time. They just went out and uh, raided the ships. I mean, it was just, you know, fox to the hen house. You've provided everything for me. We just need to go out. And you would think that if you're on the ship and folks start coming out, well, they're probably going to be friendly, right? They saw that we're stranded and we need a, a hand up, so here come our helpers. Well, 
they weren't the helpers, they were the robbers. Now, eventually, word kind of got out, but it didn't get out to everybody, and some people made a pretty good living by that. Do you think that same kind of problem was true 2,000 years ago when people were sailing? People did the same kind of thing. Yes, they did. They realized the culture, uh, you know, uh, as far as ships and, and needs, and they knew that they were in an area where ships could get hung up and so forth. So... Uh, these fellows were in some areas where that was also possibly an issue and that had to also be in the back of the minds. If we end up beached somewhere, this may not be a good experience. Anything, again, that you want to add or ask before we go down a little further? Okay. All right, you've got a description of just how difficult it was to keep the ship afloat. That's found in verse 18. What does Luke say? They labored how? They labored... I thought it was 18. Let's check. Let's take a look. I got to turn the page here. I thought they said that they uh, labored exceedingly. Yeah. Okay. That's in the first part of 18. And as we, again, Luke is being described as we labored exceedingly with the storm. So they have done all these things that we've talked about. They, they put a band-aid on the ship, so to speak, and they, they've thrown some stuff overboard, but it's still not looking all that great. So it's now time to take another step. What do they do? Okay, in verse 18, and as we labored exceedingly with the storm. New King James says that because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed. Yeah, that's what I have. Oh, okay. Well, I think you're still kind of coming out to the same point. It's definitely worded in a much different way, but uh, it's bad. So they're laboring, they're they're tossed around. Um, I'll take a look at that in the Greek text um, again and kind of see if I can pull something else out of there. Uh, but it's really bad. So what do they do now? They lighten the load. All right, it's time to lighten the load. Why? Remember, this is a grain ship like a barge. Why lighten the load? So it will float higher. Okay, it's going to float higher. If you are way down and you got these, these big waves, what's going to happen? What's... Well, you're going to be doing that, but you're going to be kind of plowing through the waves. You know, Here's the wave, you're going to be down there, and it's kind of like you're, you're taking the bigger brunt of the wave. Yes, and you're going back to the rogue wave. You can easily have the ship covered depending on the height of the wave. So let's try to get that uh, vessel to be uh, riding higher, and it's going to take less as far as the beating from the waves. All right, do you think that, as far as tossing stuff overboard, would have included the grain from Rome? Yeah, I would think if you're on board, uh, you don't. Uh, if you're the ship's owner, that may be a great concern to you, but if you're the prisoner or somebody else, let's dump that stuff. We don't need it. Now... My question is, based on verse 38, would you say that they tossed everything overboard? Specifically, did they toss all the grain overboard? They did not. Verse 38 says they still had some grain left. Now, how would you get the grain over, over the side of the ship? In our day and time, if we look at this from our perspective, you see the barge. Anybody ever see a barge loaded? Okay, how does it work? Well, sometimes... There's a tugboat, and they're, they're, they've got a lot of barges. Okay, but if they're loading something like grain. With a grain mill, and it dumps in. All right, there's like a spout. Yeah, it got a spout, and, you know, just kind of flows out of the spout, just rains down. Uh, just like, you know, pouring a cup of coffee, and it comes from the coffee pot. All right, now, if that's our image of what's taking place here, how would you get that grain out? Yeah, it's, it's probably not going to come out. I mean, you can't exactly scoop it all out. But if you're in ancient times, you don't have the big spout like we have today, chances are the grain's going to be loaded how? 
Well, I think that's true. You got barrels. Buckets. Oh, okay. There could be some buckets, or there could be sacks. sacks. We would have things which would be much smaller to manipulate in our day and time. You think about the old 1800s. You got the feed sacks and some other things. We've kind of gotten away from that as far as how we transport and how how people pick up things. Uh, we still use sacks to some degree, but that would have been very, very common in that day and time. So here you can imagine they're you know, rolling over barrels and they're throwing sacks. But if you've got a grain ship going to Egypt, that is a lot of grain. Even if you've got a couple hundred people throwing stuff over. So I think you can see how those two verses balance out. They still have some left. They can't get everything off. Verse 38, but they are certainly tossing some of the cargo. I'll give you this little note. In the second century B.C., there is a historical document which talks about unloading a grain ship, and it says it took 12 days to unload it. 12 days. Now, how many people were involved with that? I don't know. But I think that gives us a little bit of an image to say that if you're out there, I mean, that would be assuming, you know, you're at dockside, everything is quiet, everything is working well, 12 days to unload it. If you're out there in the storm, you're not going to be able to get everything off, clearly. But you can lighten the load to some degree, and everything that you can do can probably help you a little bit. So we've got the third day coming. That's verse 19. You have now gear from the ship jettisoned. Uh, again, you've got a similar thing back in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 5. If you try to put yourself on board the ship, based on all the things that we've talked about, the images that we have set forth, what's the mental picture that you get? All the people on board. You can't really control the ship, so what's everybody doing? Just like today. Chaos. Well, well yeah, it's kind of organized chaos. What's everybody doing, though? To survive. All right, everything that they can find is being tossed over. You know, let's lighten the load. Throw this out. Throw this out. Throw this out. It's, uh, like I say, kind of organized chaos. Everybody's doing the the very same thing so that they can get through the stormwaters. Hopefully, um, a little bit better. So you can imagine furniture that was on board. It would be um, a time where nothing is valuable. Better to drift than to be blindly driven by hurricane force winds. Okay, Carol. I don't know if you're interested, but Google says that those road weights go up to 90. Okay, I knew it was high. I didn't want to exaggerate that. So I think I said, you know, maybe 50 to 70, but they are very, very tall. And you can imagine the force behind them. So depending on the type of shift, I mean, I would think even an aircraft carrier would would uh, find that a little difficult to face. So, yes, they are bad. Thank you very much. Okay, anybody else? Let's at least get in 20 through 22, reading it in a few comments. And when neither sun nor stars shone upon us for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was now taken away. And when they had been long without food, then Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and have not set sail from Crete and have gotten this injury and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. One of the things that I didn't mention to you in a previous class, when Paul was talking to the captain, when he was talking to the fellow who owned the ship, uh, the fellow who was also involved, uh, you know, as far as working things out, those two guys, um, he uses a word, it's not visible in a lot of English texts, but he uses a word in talking about the injury and the loss of the ship, the word describes something which is so probable, so likely, it's almost inevitable. So that was what he was telling him. This is going to be how it goes down. This is what you should expect. And now it's happened. Uh, you've been out there for a couple of weeks, and it's kind of like 
I told you. So Paul, I wouldn't say he's impolite, but I mean, you would think that you have to be frustrated, right? After you tell somebody, look, this is going to be what you can expect. This is not a wise thing to do. This is one of the worst decisions you can make. Oh, yeah, we're going to go anyway. It's a nice day for sailing. Well, Paul says, I told you so. If you don't have any electricity on board, and that certainly was not available at this same time, as we mentioned earlier, you don't have any stars, you don't have any sun for many days, that's going to start really concerning some people. Uh, you're going to have a lot of unease. I think Mom talked about the fact that they're uh, you know, not going to be in the best of spirits, those kinds of things, and then you're facing no small tempest. That's another way of saying the storm was really, really bad, and you're just at the mercy of nature. We've already talked about the fact that all hope has ceased. Uh, the way that that's described, the hope has just kind of gone down and down and down and down, and, and now they're really at the point of uh, no hope at all. It is completely gone. Then you've got the problem that we mentioned at the beginning of the class. People have not eaten. Uh, verse 21, for two weeks. Verse 33, the King James says, after a long abstinence, we have noted that food was still available. But as we've talked about, too, trying to prepare food in this kind of environment, it was not going to simply work. Uh, in fact, Luke uses a word. One of the books I have searched for for a long time is a book which talks about the medical language used by Luke in his writings. I've never been able to find that book. But you do, as you look at what Luke wrote, you find sometimes some medical words. And here is an example of that. Luke used a common medical word which means loss of appetite. I believe that goes back to what we're talking about with Betty. You're on board the ship and, I mean, just like being sick. Uh, the circumstances, I just, I just don't want to eat. And there are times in life where people can have that experience. And based on what we've seen with the ship, it's easy to understand. Um, I don't think I want to go too much further as what Paul has to say um, as sort of a mild rebuke to these people. That's going to be a good place to probably pick up next time. But a final thought or two um, from anybody in the class. Okay, well, let's plan on picking up then uh, with kind of what he says there in the end of verse 21. Sirs, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete. You've got this injury, you've got this loss. And then in verse 22, he begins to talk about hope. He says there is a positive outcome, but you have to do what? You've got to stay in the ship. The ship's going to be lost, but uh, no life needs to be lost if you obey me.